Hi everyone and welcome to the Palmer Podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. It's really great to be with you all again and um, I'm delighted to welcome a new guest to the show today um, who has a podcast and has just written their first book and is about to launch it into the world and I'm excited to talk to you about it. So welcome Megan Wester. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yes, it's really great. I'm really, I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, and like I say, you you host um, you host a podcast, don't mm-hmm. you? Um, it's called what? What's, what's the podcast called? It, it's called the Podluck. So kind of uh, riffing on that uh, that good old church tradition. At least in the United States, is a big church tradition of. Everybody bringing their dishes together and having a good potluck, and oh, so yes. the idea is to assemble a lot of voices, have a little like ideological, theological potluck. Oh, that's a good. That's good. I like that. I only, I only realized what a potluck dinner was like last year. I think when I went to the states. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I had no idea what it was, and then I was and somebody told me they were having one, and I was like, "What's this?" <laughs> <laughs> like oh right okay <laughs> um, yeah it's good fun good fun mm-hmm. um, and that's a really cool name that's a really good name for a podcast um, yeah um, so and you've written a book which is coming out in August so um, yeah born again and again is that what it is born again and again and that it, is oh. it that's the title. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't sure how many agains there were in the title. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, just two. Just two. Unlike my own like testimony where there was like three or four different moments where I was like, okay, maybe let's try this one more time and see, see if it really works getting saved this time. Um, but yeah, just two in the title of the book. Awesome. Well, we're going to talk about the book today, but um, I just want to start with you kind of telling us a bit about your, your own story. Um, kind mm-hmm. of the background and what led you into into writing the book. Sure. So um, I am a church kid, like through and through. Um, I have been in my church in, in the church my whole life. I don't remember uh, a point in time when when I wasn't deeply immersed in faith communities. Um, I think as a kid, I was actually in the church building more often than the pastor's kids. Uh, Like, it was just so deep, uh, both in my family and and also in my life. And so I had this really, like, complicated relationship with God, even as a child, of of both deeply loving the Lord and also being terrified um, of God because I grew up... uh, fundamentalist and so lots of like hellfire and brimstone even in my childhood um hence the the multiple accounts of getting saved that I talk about a little bit in my book um but you know but my faith always held me in some way and so uh as I grew up and started to wrestle with those things um to a greater degree to you know to put it in like acceptable terms, right? Like there was a lot of wrestling, um, hmm, yeah, and um, you know, and definitely no angry swearing at the ceiling kind of prayers. Like none of that for sure. Um, there was absolutely lots of that, just to be clear. Um, 
And so I started to rethink my beliefs and trying to figure out, could I hold together uh, the God that I had come to love so dearly and who I knew um, to be loving and gracious and good and also... Uh, how how did that fit? How did that jive with also like some of the like really toxic and harmful beliefs that I saw in the church um, or in uh, like broader evangelical culture in the United States? And so I started asking myself and anybody around me who would listen some really difficult questions and trying to grapple through things like that. And so um I guess over about the course of 10, 12 years, uh, dismantled my faith piece by piece. I didn't know deconstruction was a word then. Uh, you know, 10, 12 years ago, that wasn't something that people were talking about in the same way that they do today. But but that's what it was, right? It was kind of systematically hmm. um, taking apart the things that I had been handed uh, almost like unpacking a bag of groceries or something, right? It's like taking things out one at a time, looking at it, um, and kind of evaluating, like, okay, is this fruit good or is this fruit rotten, right? Like, am I going to, like, you know, just to follow the grocery analogy, like, is this going to be something that I, like, stuff my pantry with or does this need to be discarded? Like, was I handed something that was gross and rotten and not helpful? And so uh, kind of took everything apart um, and then four years ago, went to seminary, and I know not everybody has this experience in seminary, but for me, it was very much a, a reconstructing, put all in, putting all the things back together uh, experience, and, and trying to figure out, is the faith that I loved so dearly as a child, that was such a... Um, a haven for me as a child is there a way for it to be presented and told and held and participated in in a more beautiful life-giving generous way than the way that I encountered it um, hmm. that's kind of the, the nutshell version yeah yeah that sounds like a yeah very much a nutshell version having, you know, having been through a deconstruction myself Mm-hmm. Oh, there's always a lot more to it, isn't there? Um, so, the much <laughs> <laughs> so tell us what the book itself is about. Yeah, so the book really like mimics my story, um, kind of my like unofficial. You know, this isn't on the back of the book, but like my unofficial way of describing it is to say like I tried to cram into those 226 pages. Uh, what I have learned over the last 10 years or at least like the the footholds like if you think about like a climbing wall or whatever like this isn't the whole scope of it because that would be a lot longer than 226 pages and nobody wants to read a book that long um, <laughs> but it it's the grab the, the things you can grab onto the things that I jumped off of and, and the things that I hope my readers can then grab onto and, and kind of catch their balance um like, I'm, I'm not good at climbing things, and so I feel a little bit, uh, like, out of my element, but this is the image that's coming to my mind, so I'm just going to follow it. Um, but when you're climbing on a rock wall, or when I watch people climb on rock walls, uh, you know, there are times when you get kind of off kilter, and you lose your balance, and, 
And so then you've got to grab that next foothold or grab the next handhold uh, to kind of steady yourself. And so I'm hoping that the book can kind of serve as that for people because, you know, what is in it is, is kind of what were those things for me. And so I start the book by talking about the four occasions in which I got saved as a child. Um, and responded to those evangelical like altar calls and mm. um, you know, tried to make sure that my salvation had really stuck. Um, and then, you know, I kind of build a new framework then to say, all right, so clearly that wasn't it. Like, that story is broken, or at least incomplete. Um, so how do we tell a better story? Uh, what is a more comprehensive uh, way of talking about salvation and what it means and how we come into it, what bearing it has on our lives. Um, and then because, uh, because I like to keep things all like light and cheery and, uh, you know, appropriate for dinner parties, then I proceed to talk about how that impacts our politics, the way we view gender, the way we talk about race, uh, our finances and our, uh, ecological views. Um, oh, in our politics. Um, so, so you know, just just the light stuff. <laughs> yeah, just yeah, that's right. It's perfect for a, you know for an after dinner conversation or you know exactly. a date or you know like easy. Uh, that was that was the goal. It was like good dinner party book. Um. <laughs> so what did you learn, like about all of those things that you, that you? wanted to share with people what was it you know the, the different issues that where it comes up what what, how, what did that look like so I think the the base note that runs underneath all of it is this idea that the the vision for salvation I was given as a child um, in the evangelical church in the United States which is a very specific sector of the church um, so when I lob critiques at the church it's at the white evangelical church in the United States. Um, and so, you know, the, the vision for salvation, the vision for faith that I was handed by that community was that, like, your salvation is, is for your benefit, right? It's to save your soul from hell. It is so Jesus can come live inside your heart, and you can have your own personal relationship with God. Um, and so it was almost sold as a consumer good in some ways. Like the framework is the same, right? Yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah. Get yourself some Jesus and tuck him inside your heart. Um, and and so I, I kind of pulled back and said, okay, that's not it. That is not it. That's not good theology. It doesn't yield good fruit. Uh, it, it's antithetical to the witness of scripture by and large. Um, and so how then have all of these other things, right, politics, race, gender, finances, like all of the other things I address in the book, how are our approaches to those things also driven by that same uh, consumer kind of mindset, right, where we turn other people into objects instead of subjects, um, and then view people in our communities not as uh, fellow image bearers whom we encounter, right, um, hmm. and, and seeing God um, in our neighbor and being mutually formed by one another and instead turn them into uh, objects that we consume in some way, even even if it's really well-intentioned, um, that the impact of that matters a lot. And so uh, in each chapter I go through in the beginning, 
and I, I dig into the history of the white evangelical church in the U.S. and say, like, okay, here's where the, the seeds of this particular, like, pattern of belief are in our history. Um, and, and then here's how that compares in contrast with what the witness of Scripture is. And, like, spoiler, for being people that, like, talk about the Bible all the time, evangelicals are really not basing a lot of their ethics in scripture um and it's a lot more rooted in in some of the the early politics and political views in the formation of, of the united states um yeah so i yeah i those were all things that i like i said i've been learning over the last 10 years or so and i certainly did a lot more research to like put it into a book but um that that's I wanted to give the whole story, right? Because we are formed not just by the propositions that we believe, but by the stories that we tell ourselves and tell others. Mm. Um, and so I really wanted to ground all of that in like, no, this is the story we were handed. This is the story that has been forming our communities uh, for, you know, a hundred years. And so that's not going to go quietly into the night, right? That's not just going to be something that lets uh, let's go of our imaginations quickly or smoothly, and we need to, if we are going to move into a different uh, way of operating as people of faith, if we are going to have different um, beliefs that are, I would argue, uh, more informed by the the grace and the love and the life that that is, you know, that just flows out of the Godhead. Um, then we're going to have to really evaluate what the whole story is that's informing us, and how do we start telling a different one? Yeah, absolutely. Because it is, it's, and I talked about this on the show with other guests that stories have such power to inform us and mm-hmm. transform us more than anything else. In a way, mm-hmm. um, you can't transform people just with cold facts right. uh, and knowledge. As stories actually change people. Uh, you can convince somebody with a story when you can't convince them with knowledge or facts um, and okay. that can be dangerous if misused um, right. and it has been obviously mm-hmm. um, one of the things that I, I know you talk about in the book that um, one of the questions is one of the things you talk about is salvation is almost a product that's like something that you acquire Mm-hmm. Um, so what just unpack that for us and what, and what actually the contrast to that is yeah yeah so I mean that's what I grew up with right salvation as a product which fits very well in like the American economy the American imagination um, yeah. and so I contrast that with with this journey that I have been on of realizing over the last decade or so of my life that it's not a product and I don't get to own my salvation. It's bigger than that. And like, thank God, right? Like thank mm. goodness that like salvation is not just about me and my little personal Jesus. Um, no shade to Johnny Cash and his fantastic song, but like, that's not the point. Um, that salvation is bigger than that. And if I, if we're really going to take the kingdom of God seriously and say that like, you no, know, Jesus came and lived and died and was resurrected and ascended 
because God is doing something in this world that has to be bigger than me. And like, did I feel good about my 15 minute personal quiet time today? Mm. And do I feel like God gave me a personal word today? And so I, I frame salvation in the book as, as a people to which we belong, mm. a practice which we give our lives to, um, and, and as a kingdom um, that we are working towards that end. And so I, I end every chapter by saying, like, okay, let's assess this with, like, a threefold lens of saying, like, there are personal implications to this, right? Like, ideally, your following of Jesus and submitting to Jesus' lordship has implications on your day-to-day life. I don't think that that is confined to, like, a 15-minute quiet time or, like, only listening to Christian music or, like, any of the things that I was, Mm, like, told growing up. Um, but I think that it does have implications on us personally, right? Like if we look at the systems of this world, there's a lot to critique and also systems are made of individuals. Um, and so we have to do the work both ways. And so at the end of every chapter, I say, okay, here's ways that we personally bear witness to this. Here are the ways that we as a community, as people of faith, bear witness to this and then kind of turning that attention outward and saying this is this is the public witness aspect of that right that there is also this element to our faith that says uh it's not just like let the church be the church but also like the church has a role to speak truth to power and people if they have a have a role to speak truth to power and to say to the systems of this world uh this this isn't it right this is not the way um, and if the church just, you know, holds up in their own little corner and says, like, well, we're just doing our thing and we don't need to, like, correct anybody else, then all kinds of mess can happen. And, and so part of the faithful witness of the church is to also have that public witness. Uh, so I, uh, I address all three of those at the end of every chapter and invite people to consider what, what if salvation is a people that we belong to? and a practice that we give ourselves to uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm. That's a beautiful thing. I love that perspective. That's a really, really healthy perspective, I think, something that we give ourselves to. You know, um, yeah. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful metaphor, uh, you know, because it's more about how we're living, about a choice that we make. It's not... Yeah. Like, yeah, it's not a product we're consuming. It's not a, you decide this and then this happens kind of thing. Which right. the evangelical church right. is like, you, you believe in Jesus, you go to heaven kind of thing. It's not that. It's just right. Right. It's, a, it's a life that you're choosing and a belonging right. almost that you're committing to. Uh, right. And Which that's how then, like, shifts the way that we talk about, like, doubt or deconstruction then too, right? Because then it's yeah. like, if I... If I am having a hard time with with how I'm participating or how I'm belonging, like the good news then, right? Like so much of the witness in the in the New Testament is right that God is forming a new family. It's not this like, oh, are you in or out? It's it's this is a new people being assembled and, and they have a, a fidelity to one another that is beyond like blood or beyond like legality and so uh, you know, then that means, and part of this comes from my own experience, right, of having people in my life, and I recognize the, the gift and how rare, unfortunately, it is for people, but having 
people who, when I lobbed my questions at them or my anger or my grief or my doubts or whatever, just said like, okay, yeah, you're right. That doesn't make sense. You're right. That like, we can call BS on that. And I'm going to hold space for your faith in this moment. And even if you aren't holding on to your faith right now, like I'll help you hold it. Right. Like at the end of the day, I've still got you. You still belong. Even if we're not sure how we all fit together right now. But the mm. first call is, is we belong to one another. Um, and if we miss that piece, then, then how are we going to move forward from there? Um, mm. You know, like, that, that it's all based on the love of one another, the belonging to one another, and litmus tests have no place in that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we're all one. We're all connected. We're all in community with each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that fits. I mean, like, we did, you know, we've had a lot of things have happened this year. Um, and you know the system the system of capitalism I guess um, the evangelical system in America in particular has kind of been exposed uh, for what it really is Mm -hmm. you know systemic racism and exclusion and division and um, all of those things they're all part of the same system essentially they're all part of empire you know and oppression and it's important to acknowledge that that's happened and that yeah i mean i think you talk about all these these subjects in the book and it's you know it's quite i mean it's quite timely um in a way as well because we need to be talking about all of these things um even outside the u.s you know systemic racism exists outside the u.s you know we may not have evangelicalism in quite the same way but we still have a system um which is um, not working and um, Jesus yeah. has to be part of that conversation and healthy spiritual community and you know standing for what's right for justice, social justice has to be mm-hmm. something that we're all talking about yeah yeah. because I mean at the end of the day if we're going to say that we we take Jesus at his word right, that we, we take him seriously right um then things are not the way that that they should be. Like that's not even like a debatable thing. Um, you know, I don't I don't know if these were popular in the UK too or not. But in the nineties, there were like the the canvas bracelets that were like WWJD. Yeah, they were popular here too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, I was like, I don't know if that's just an American thing or no. Not. They were popular uh, here. Yeah, I didn't have one. Okay, I never did. Oh, <laughs> uh, I had enough for both of us, so it's okay. Um, and so, uh, but to, to just go back to that, right, of like, okay, if, if that's the only question we're asking, and that would be a very limited scope, but even if that's the only question we're asking, it's like, what would Jesus do with systemic racism? What would Jesus do with, you know, in the United States right now, like Confederate monuments? What would Jesus do with uh, children who don't have access to clean water because the city's infrastructure is is not able to support that. Like, just if that is the only question we ask, then we can really clearly see that, like, oh no, we we are not following Jesus. 
we may have checked a box at an altar and said like yes please i don't want to go to hell when i die um but like how reductive and how truly tragic to take the the incredible teachings and work and witness of christ and make it into this little trinket that i can tuck onto my shelf and say oh look i got my get out of hell free card i'm good when the world burns around us um it, it it's profane um and so i think just to call that what it is and say that there's not this like we need to attend to justice and the gospel like that's that's redundant that the the work of christ the work of the lord in in the world is to bring about shalom to bring about this deep peace this deep flourishing everything set at right um, right, which is not the absence of conflict, right? It's not just like, all right, everybody, go home, stop protesting, can't we all just get along? That's not shalom. Shalom is the, Lisa Sharon Harper talks about this, right? It's the space between the things being very good. Um, that the relationship between you and I is good. Um, and that's what shalom is. Um, and so until we get there, uh, until we, we reach that point of, of shared flourishing, uh, then we're not following Jesus yet. Um, you know, I, I really believe that if we're going to say that we take the gospel seriously, this good news that Jesus is Lord, that absolutely has to change the way that we live. Um, and it's not an addition to, it, it is the thing. Mm, absolutely, it is. It is, and that's 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 actually been part of my experience of the last few months. Is that actually I'd start to see, oh, actually, this is what actually Jesus was about. This is what he was really about, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like it wasn't anything that I've been told growing up. Mm-hmm. This is what he was about, uh, and it's real yeah. and it's raw and it's violent. Actually, like he turned over the tables in the t- in the temple. Like he didn't, you know, yeah. um, and. Uh, you know, and it's not easy. Like the narrow path, no. you know. Like this, I said it to somebody else. You know, the, the narrow path between all kinds of fundamentalism, whether it's progressive or yeah. um, or conservative, and um, you know, not being part of the system, uh, any system, you know, is a narrow path, and it's not easy to find it, and it's a lot of work. Um, yeah. and yeah that's what he's I think that's what he was really about that's what he's yeah. really wanting from us yeah. Um, yeah I really wish that it wasn't a narrow path <laughs> yeah I know right <laughs> I, yeah. really, I would love for it to be like a giant highway where it's like you got you got space it's fine just cruise along yeah uh that hasn't been my experience and and i miss the path all the time i miss that narrow path all the time and so like that's why grace is important is not so that we can just like live you know however we want because we know like oh at the end of the day like i'm going to heaven like no grace is like you get to try again (laughs) like you get to try again every day. And guess what? Like, that correction to say, like, oh, no, you missed the path there, that's a gift. And grace is being able to look at that as a gift and then act in ways that are according and and then have 
the the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit to guide us as we continue to try to get better at finding that path. Um, trying to cram that camel through the eye of the needle, like all, all of those things. Um, and, you know, and I, I hate and I love that at the same time. Because um, you're right, it's not easy. And I was taught to think that faith was going to be easy. Hmm. Um, you know, oh, I was going to be persecuted from, like, the liberal professors in university or whatever. Never mind that I was going to a Christian college. But, um, <laughs> you know, oh, you'll be persecuted by people because they don't want you to, like, read your Bible at the lunch table or whatever. But but faith, faith will be easy. Um, and I'm just... That's not been my experience at all. I've never had a university professor harass me or someone tell me I can't read my Bible at lunch. Um, but I've had plenty of church people tell me I should stop talking about racism. So mm, yeah. where's that persecution coming from? Mm, um, yeah. 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 It's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, how did this journey and writing this book, how did it, how did it impact your own faith journey? Well, I wrote the book, I only wrote about things that I uh, feel comfortable having the public pick apart, um, because that's what I'm sure will happen. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brene Brown talks about, uh, you know, in her work with vulnerability, right, to, to write from your scars, not from your wounds, um, and so that is somewhat of a, a writing mantra for me and so not that I have figured any of this out but these are the guesses that I feel comfortable enough throwing out there and having people critique them um, uh, as far as it impacting my faith journey I like I am a naturally very critical person um, I don't know how much the Enneagram makes appearances on this podcast but I'm an Enneagram one and so criticism is my love language. And um, so I, in some ways, I, I feel like I navigated deconstruction very well because it was like, oh, cool. I get to ask all the questions and I get to like push back on all the things that I think are crap. I get to do that. Because, uh, you know, growing up fundamentalist, that, you don't get to do those things. Like, you just mm. swallow it and keep it quiet. And um, so in some ways, it was like, you know, letting a fish out into the water or something. Like, oh, I can swim in this. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Um, I, mm. I'm not scared of the questions. Um, and, and at first I was, right? Like, it was you know, dropping the fish into the ocean and me being like, holy Moses, this is a big ocean. Um <laughs> But, but I'm not scared of the questions anymore. And I think having people kind of in those early years of deconstruction for me, you know, affirming that, like, you, you cannot, like, if, if we're really saying this is what we believe about God, then you, you cannot ask God a question or throw something at God that, like, is going to somehow, like, disappoint God. Or, like, have God be like, oh, no, not that one. <laughs> uh, you know, like, it's, uh, and so I think, again, just so much gratitude to the people who were in my life in those early years. And just say, like, no, you can ask that question. 
Like, you can be angry about that. that. That is fine, right? Like, come honestly before the Lord. Don't, you know, sit over there and pretend like you've got it all together and, you know, just swallow the crap that you are handed and pretend like that is somehow holy because it's not. Um, and so, I, you know, I think that at this point it's just like, I am constantly trying to cultivate a spirit of curiosity um, and assuming that I don't know everything, which sounds like so silly to say out loud, but also like so many of us operate from that posture of just like, oh, well, I know how this works. I know how this person is. I know how this group functions. Um, and that, you know, that's either from experience or from like our own woundedness or from a, for a variety of different reasons. But um, as much as possible, trying to practice a posture of, of saying, how can I be curious about this? Um, you know, with, with boundaries, right? Like there's, there's certain viewpoints that I'm like, I'm not curious about that. I know that story. That's okay. I don't need to hear it again. Um, yeah. But but especially when things are like uh, when they activate me, right? Or or I feel uh, challenged by something, uh, you know, where where I hear something, and I'm like, oh no, I am not that kind of person. Then that I, I'm choosing instead to use that as like an opportunity to get more curious, right? But it's like, oh wait, no, like just to break real churchy, like what is that conviction? What is that place where I feel so activated and defensive and fragile is actually the place where the Holy Spirit is trying to meet me through this other person and their witness? Oh, what is that? Um, and so I think just, you know, there was a, Rob Bell wrote a book several years ago, How to Be Here. Um, yeah. Where he talks a lot. Yeah, where he talks a lot about like that curiosity. Um, and things like that. And at that point in my life and in my deconstruction, I had already ripped apart all my views on like women in ministry and, and like feminism and things like that. And, and I had a, a young child at that point. My daughter was like two, uh, which is why I ripped apart all of the, the, the views on women first because I was like, oh no, I have to figure out how to raise one of these. Um, <laughs> and so uh, at that point, I was settled enough in what I had deconstructed and kind of started to put back together that I really wasn't curious anymore. I was like, all right, this is good enough. Okay. Yeah. Like, you know, enough dust had settled that it was like, okay, let me just breathe for a second. Let me just, you know, get my bearings. And, and then, you know, reading Rob's book was like, oh, I, I guess I should try to cultivate some curiosity again. Mm. Yeah, and that just blew everything wide open for me. Um, of just starting to practice curiosity in my daily life, and instead of trying to find answers, to constantly be in the pursuit of asking a better question, um, and knowing that that God is down the path of those questions, no matter what. Yeah. Oh wow, I love that, and that's. That's, that was a fruit of my journey as well. That I resonate with that because that's one thing I've learned. Always, always, always be curious and ask questions and yeah. ask why. And 
be open to what you can learn from mm-hmm. your journey and oh it's so much better oh, it's yeah. so much more fun yeah. honestly yeah. being yeah. curious is like you know i i learned it from that book and i learned it from liz gilbert as well about right. being yeah. about being curious because it's just so important just that's how you grow and it's risky and it's difficult and it, you know you don't know what's going to happen but it's how you grow and it's actually fun it's an adventure so yeah 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 and and i think that you know i appreciate that you name it it's risky right because i think that so many of us come into the faith as like a form of risk management yeah like absolutely. here are the rules and if you learn the rules then you will always have this like very fragile community that will abandon you if you break any of the rules um and you get to go to heaven when you die so here you go like here's this like <laughs> yeah yeah. You know, little package just to keep you safe. And and that's, for one, that's just not faith, right? Like, that's just the opposite of faith. Like, certainty is the opposite of faith. Um, but also, mm. like, yeah, it's not very fun. And it leads you to the same answer over and over and over and over and over and lands us in the exact situations that we are seeing unveiled in all of their nastiness right now in 2020. And so... Yeah, I would much rather ask better questions and try things and mess it up and be like, wow, that was a failure. That really sucked. <laughs> I have all of these things that I need to make amends for. Um, but then try to find my way back to that narrow path. Yeah, yeah. That's it. That's the, that's the balance, isn't it? That's the, um, that's the journey. That is the narrow path in a way. Um, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so just to kind of come to towards the end, what's your what's your biggest your biggest hope for this book that you're that's um, being born again and again? Um. Well, I'm hoping that people don't burn it because I work real hard on it. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, yeah. you know, here in the U.S. 2016 was kind of a watershed year for us. I don't know if you heard about that or not. Yeah, uh, same here, cool. actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, you've got your own. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, <coughs> there was kind of this, this little election that happened, and mm. um, all of a sudden there were many people who realized that their faith communities and the leaders that they had respected growing up, that they weren't what they thought they were. Um and by 2016, I was already like six, seven years into that deconstruction, reconstruction process. So I was like, oh, yes, hello, welcome. <laughs> we can ask questions together. Um, and so I, I am really hoping that this book can be uh, almost like a handbook, right? Like, uh, you know, like when you're a kid and you're in scouts or something and they give you a little handbook that's like, here's how you tie the knots and here's how you, you know, these are the berries that are edible and this is what poison ivy looks like. So don't touch that one. And, you know, it, it's not a survival guide that it's comprehensive, but it gives you the basics. Um, and so I'm really hoping that this book can be, uh, you know, kind of a, a guide for people who are kind of fumbling through trying to make sense of their faith in new ways um, after, you know, having this big disillusionment moment. Um, I, I'm hoping that people find it somewhat pastoral, 
um, that, you know, I really tried to write and my editor was incredibly helpful in this process. I tried to write not with a lot of like condemnation or judgment, but a lot of invitation instead. Um, and so I, I hope that, uh, that for the weary, it can be a balm and for the, the comfortable, it can be, uh, maybe a little bit of a fire at their heels. Um, mm. so those are, those are my hopes. Um, and I, there are certain people on Twitter that I would like to, uh, for them to get very angry about it. I would love for a farewell tweet. If I'm just being like, oh yeah, oh, I think like I would love to get farewelled by certain people, John Piper. Um, yeah, no, that's that's <laughs> not unusual. <laughs> Absolutely. If I don't yeah. get farewelled, it'll be fine. It'll be okay. <clears throat> yeah. So, where can people connect with you and your work? Yeah, so on Instagram and Twitter, I'm at mwestra, M-K-E, so uh, Westra is W-E-S-T-R-A, like the direction, um, <laughs> and uh, M-K-E is, is my city, it's Milwaukee, so um, that's where I'm at on Instagram and Twitter. Um, on Facebook, I'm just Megan Westra. I'm not on there as much, um, but I, I am over on, on Facebook, too. Uh, and then my website is meganwestray.com where people can find uh, the pre-order link for the book. They can find my podcast there, the pod luck, uh, you know, read my blogs and things like that. So that's, that's where people can find me. Fantastic. Fantastic. I would highly recommend checking all that stuff out, everyone. So, and I'm really excited about this book and I hope that, um, it does well. I hope you get that farewell tweet. <laughs> that would be awesome. It's so ridiculous, but I'm just like, oh yeah, yeah. If certain people farewell me, then that's it's like a badge of honor, right? There's certain people, and if if you get blocked by them or or farewell, then you're like, yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, yes. Oh well, well, thank you for coming on the show. Um, the book is available yeah. from August the 11th. Is that right? August the 11th, yeah. Um, yep. So, so um, if people pre-order it, then that means it shows up in their mailbox on August 11th um, instead of, you know, waiting to order when it comes out. It may even come to them before August 11th. Sometimes the warehouses will start shipping as soon as they come in. So I'm not going to tell your listeners how to live their life, but if they want to get the book the fastest way possible, they should pre-order it. Awesome. Awesome. Excellent. Well, thank you for coming on the show. It's been um, such a pleasure to talk to you. Um, yeah. So um, thanks for listening, everybody, and um, I hope this is really encouraging and hopeful for you. Yeah. So take care, and um, we'll talk to you all really soon. Yes.